Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hello, Patch. How are you this evening? I'm good. Excited for the second episode of Season 3, or Stranger Things 3, as it's known by the populace, entitled Mallrats, without a question mark, as you clarified with me last episode, because... (laughs) That's right. I have questions about question marks in episode titles. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitive. This is the title, Mall Rats. Mall Rats. Uh, Two words, not one, right? Two words. That's correct. Yeah. Not not to be confused with the movie with Jay and Silent Bob, which was a classic uh, in its own right. (laughs) And as we mentioned last time, I think there is a bit of a play on words here because we have an episode that is about rats and about malls and about people that go to malls who are nicknamed mall rats. I love a good episode title like that. <laughs> yeah. Someone put their thinking cap on. It's not like biscuits in Ted Lasso season <laughs> one where we're like, oh, okay, biscuits. It's about the one line that we get. That's where we get the title. <laughs> well, and I won't spoil it now, but episode three's title is a little bit obvious, but... Is it Sean Levy? Is that his title? (laughs) Is it called Sean Levy? (laughs) Yeah, chapter three, Sean Levy. Part one. (laughs) Because we know he probably directs three and four. Sean Levy's return, yeah. (laughs) Part one and two. (laughs) Yeah. Sean Levy strikes back. That's a great title. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure his ego would enjoy that. I'm sure. <laughs> Everything was titled in his name. Sean Levy, Return of the Levy. How about that? That would work, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's get right into the episode with our cold open. I really felt like there's a similar kind of opening in season one where we lose Barb in the episode. At that point, we don't think we lose Barb. She just gets kind of pulled into the upside-down pool. Now, right. that that effect, obviously, we see in season three's episode one with Billy. But I think this kind of slow entry into the episode and then boom, jump scare. I legit like jumped. And this is me watching it at like 1130 at night with my headphones in. And I'm like, nope, not doing that. We're going (laughs) subtitles from here on out because that (laughs) I won't be able to go to sleep now. And it wasn't even anything that was like scary in my face. It was just the jump scare itself. But it did scare the mess out of me. You know, all done with sound, really. And that's most of most modern horror films. When you get a jump scare, it mostly has to do with loud sounds or loud music at just the right moment where you weren't expecting it. <laughs> where if it was, if you took the sound out, I don't think you would jump. Right? That's the interesting thing. It's all based on the audio that tricks your your brain into thinking there's <laughs> there's something going on. Clearly, there was something going on in the scene, but yes, it, it was, was amplified <laughs> by the sound. Yeah. What we find out is that Billy escapes and he runs toward his now working car. Okay. It, wow. Yeah. I guess what it takes is for you to be trapped. <laughs> maybe, car it, maybe it just needed some time to cool down, you know? Yeah. That's, who knows how long he was down there? 
Yeah, it's got it's got emotions, and it was like, you know what, Billy, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm going to go ahead and start because we've had some distance, we've had some time to think. So right. now I'm going to start, especially since you're scared out of your mind. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he finds a payphone and tries to dial nine one one, and he ends up getting the upside down. And so what we do is we get that really great transition that we saw in Stranger Things two with Will again near yep. the very beginning of the season where he sort of cuts in and out of the upside down and i'm like oh cool he's gonna see the smoke monster maybe he's gonna get possessed we'll get our wish that will's not gonna be the one no we get people and i was like wow at this moment because we've never seen people in the upside down up, up to this point now what i am sort of inferring is that he sees himself i guess the upside down version of himself the one without the scar on his on his head from getting pulled into the uh, into the steelworks, but there's a lot of other people behind him, and I'm wondering: are those other people from Hawkins, or are those other versions of him? We never see that, so that's kind of a question I have at this point in the season: is right. do we have multiple Billies, or are we talking about upside down people that reflect the people of Hawkins? I'm thinking it might be the latter if we get more info there but i'm just kind of leaving that out there as a yeah yeah i won't obviously reveal anything that i may or may not know but um but yeah it does seem to be like like a dark reflection of himself and whether or not he's like really in upside down or not or if he's just like if if his sort of consciousness is somehow there but he's still here these are questions that we kind of discussed in season two as well when you know will would have his little freak out moments and and see things. So yeah, yeah, I think something similar is going on here. He's definitely in the real world in these moments. He's not in the upside down, but he's Correct. he's been sort of infected perhaps by the upside down. Yeah, and and I think that's what the Duffer brothers are trying to kind of get us to go with, which is like, right. okay, so what's happening to Will is what's happening to Billy. So by the end of the episode, right. without getting into too much detail yet, I feel like Billy has been infected. This is right. not any other version of Billy that we see throughout the rest of the episode. Maybe, again, it's it's a question mark, but I like right. the fact that there's some duplicitousness there that, hey, are we getting a switched version of Billy or are we getting a Billy that's become like a henchman for whatever this thing is right. in the upside down? And this is his way of talking to Billy is with an upside down Billy. So those are kind of my, my ram- rambling thoughts at this point right. in the season. That's how I, you know, at this point in time, would take it as well, that whatever is controlling this creature or whatever it is, it doesn't have any way to communicate verbally except through this sort of dark version of himself, right? It's like that's right. it's, it's means of communication to Billy yeah. in terms of getting Billy to do it, its bidding. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of a... Had a little close encounters moment where you have this sort of like, not a shape shifting, but a sort of a transitory uh, language like, okay, yeah, we understand what you're saying. Or even like the abyss where there's a method of communication that makes sense to the individual. I'm going to use another contact reference. We we talked about contact a little bit on the last episode. I think this is the same kind of thing where you have, uh, I think her name's L in, in contact as well. Um, maybe is it L Ellie? Ellie, thank you. Yeah, Ellie, yeah. not L. Um, but not to spoil anything, really. But the way in, there's a there's a communication with an alien race, and it's kind of there's the contact is made in a similar way. 
albeit right. not as scary by any means. <laughs> no. I, I think you could spoil Contact at this point. It's wasn't it ninety seven that it came out? Yes, yeah. So it was. we might be upon its twenty fifth anniversary this summer coming up, maybe or maybe Fine. it was last summer. Yeah, we may have missed it. Hmm. Depending on when you're listening to this. Yeah, right. <laughs> it might be its thirtieth <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> well, if you're listening to this uh, as it released, I uh, hope you had a great summer. And yeah, exactly. uh, maybe maybe you went to go maybe you Next bought summer. it on 4K when it released. <laughs> 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 so after the credits roll, uh we get to Elle's house. She is kind of freaking out a little bit, wondering where Mike is. Apparently, they were supposed to have their daily makeout session that started at 9:45 a.m. or something. <laughs> Why so early? I don't know. It's just like, that's early. (laughs) I know it's it's early in the day, like, or it's daytime. It's not nighttime. She's wondering where he is. Meanwhile, Mike's pacing, knowing that he has to talk to her about why he can't come and see her. So this is great storytelling. We get the conversation with Hopper and we get nothing. And then the next kind of pickup is this, one of maybe the best phone calls in the history of television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she calls him and she's like, basically, where are you? He's like, I can't come over. It's my Nana. She's very sick. We think she might die. Now, you and I both know about this growing up in the 80s and 90s with corded phones with one phone line in the house. Right. When somebody answers the phone and there's a second phone that you're picking up because it's for you, you run the risk of that person staying on the line. In this case, it was Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> and it's a fantastic moment when he says, we think she might die. And Mrs. Wheeler's like, what? Mom, get off the phone. How many times? Did Nana call? No, Mom, just get off the phone. <sighs> <laughs> and the way he says, get off the phone like he's just at the top of his lungs it's it's most kids of the 80s or 90s can remember a situation where one of their parents was or siblings was listening into a conversation and you yell from another room or another floor of the house like to get off the phone because you want you want your privacy you want to be able to talk with your friend or your girlfriend or whatever and not have somebody eavesdropping and you can usually tell you can hear them breathing or (laughs) unless they're smart and they you know put their hand over the receiver a clicking noise, you know, or yeah. something in the background, or maybe Nintendo playing, and you're like, yeah, dude, right. get off the get off the phone. I'm on the phone with my girlfriend. That's right. <laughs> one of the great lines from this conversation, well, there's several, but one that stands out is Mike saying very reluctantly, I just think I need to be alone today with my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's so confused. And I love when she, she says... Uh, do you lie? <laughs> Just the what? way she says it. Yeah. Do you lie? <laughs> do you lie? <laughs> and again, just like in the first episode where we get this play off of her powers in a comedic way, now we're getting that great line, friends don't lie, that concept that we mm-hmm. fell in love with in Stranger Things 1 being played a little bit for laughs here. And the person that taught her not to lie or that we exactly. don't lie is the one <laughs> lying. Not only right. her friend, but her boyfriend, someone who should definitely never lie to you. So she's kind of getting very mixed messages here. Mm-hmm. But what she doesn't understand, of course, is that it's all because of her adopted father, Hopper, 
and the pressure that he put on Mike, if only she knew, she might not be so confused. Oh my gosh. This scene ends in such a brilliant way. He is playing dumb. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, Mike can't come over. Really? And his expression, eating those honey smacks and drinking the milk. Uh, I think this episode is two for two in terms of song selection throughout the episode. And it starts with, you don't mess around with Jim. You don't. You (laughs) don't mess around with Jim. (laughs) And the way he's singing the song in the car, driving into town, it's kind of reminded me of Happy Tom Cruise in Jerry Maguire when he's singing Free Fallen. You know, it's like exactly. Yeah. Everything's good for pop right now. He's so happy. Despite the fact that his daughter is miserable, he's he's happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it. It, yeah. it comes to it, it comes to like it's like icing on the cake when he hits the general store. It's almost like he's yeah. doing a victory lap here. He drives right. over to see Joyce. He's reveling in the victory, and he says, "Emotions have been shared. Boundaries have been set. Order has been restored." Wait, wait, it worked. Uh, and I almost wanted like. In the background, a clapping track of some kind, like, yes, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and Joyce's response is, is so good. It's like, so you talked to him? It's like, well, it was really more Mike or anything. And we know what's happening or what's right. happened. And I love seeing how he skirts around what actually happened. But for her, she's like, well, good job, Hop. Glad you glad you did that. And yeah, so it's, it's a great little victory lap for him. Yeah. And he tries to get a, a dinner date with Joyce at, well, not. We won't call it a date, but just two friends getting together for dinner. And he sort of does. Like, he basically forces her to have dinner. Like, he sets it in motion. And then he leaves. As he walks by, there's that great line. He spills the magnets, and he goes, (laughs) clean up an aisle nine. But, of course, (laughs) no small thing is unimportant in Stranger Things. As she goes by to pick up the magnets, they don't stick. And I was, like, hearkening back to what you told me in the previous episode. What's going on? And I go, hey, I didn't, you did it. I didn't give anything away, did I? I just <laughs> you know, made your I just made your brain think. Yeah. About you pointed my brain in the right direction. Yeah. I let your brain <laughs> figure it out for, for you know, all by itself. That's right. Then we move to the Hawkins paper. Uh, Nancy's mulling over the note that she received as uh, she pours a bit of coffee. And of course Bruce is there with the dig. Oopsie Daisy. <laughs> Careful there, Nancy Drew. Careful. <laughs> Pouring coffee's a tough gig, right? And I'm like, yeah. you're a butthole, is what you are. <laughs> He's so awful to her. He really is. And it's it, again, it's it's great stuff because it helps us sort of get settled into the kind of people she's hanging out with. And he's such a great sort of uh, representative of that culture at that time. And uh, and <laughs> he just plays it really well. <laughs> yep. So then um, she brings Tom his coffee. I guess that's the editor of the paper. And she requests to take off. She said, hey, can one of the other girls go get lunch today? She says, I really need to go to the doctor. I've been having some girl problems. Which he grants after doing kind of a spit take, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I'm an adult and maybe it's just maturity. I don't think it is because I'm not really that mature if you ask my wife. But I don't have an issue going into 
a store and buying tampons for my wife. I don't have an issue when somebody tells me they're having female problems. It doesn't make me like, like wretch or anything like that. So I, I don't know if this is something that's just sort of like sitcom comedy that, that the Duffer brothers are reinforcing. And it's, it's, I mean, it's funny, Right, but it's, it doesn't feel very realistic unless I just miss something from the I think 80s it's, and 90s. It may have been more realistic in the time, perhaps. You know, when you're, if you're talking about the mid 80s, I mean, look, even when he gets his coffee, he's like, "Thanks, sweetheart." You know, I don't yeah, think yeah. men say that anymore <laughs> when they get no. their coffee. It's <laughs> highly inappropriate, even if it's not intended to be. It's just not something you do. So clearly, men of a certain age at a certain time behaved in a way that. Perhaps they just didn't want to hear about female problems or anything of that nature. They just, they were men and they don't, they did men, manly things, you know? So I wasn't a, an adult male in the mid eighties, so I can't verify this, but yeah, it could be just for laughs, but I I have a feeling that there were men like this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some truth in sarcasm. So I guess there's truth in, in comedy in that regard. So she gets permission. She barges into the dark room again and Jonathan's line oh come on the light and I'm like I'm with you Jonathan she's ruining your career that's what she's doing without me that's why the light's there (laughs) yes yeah so you were right that there was a light on and she just disregards it and the little note on the door that says Nancy specifically stop before you knock (laughs) yeah I mean that's all she has to do literally is knock and he can you know protect whatever he's working on before she enters but she's excited because she wants to Nancy Drew this thing, you know. That's true. She's got a lead. She's got a lead. And she gets Jonathan to go on this investigation with her, of course, because they're, they're a pair. Like, they're like the they're Hardy Boys and the Bobby yeah. Twins at the same time. Or the, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's the equivalent Hardy Boys? And is it the Bobby Twins? Is that the girls' um, version? I don't think it is. I'm remember. not sure. Because yeah. I didn't read the girl version of this. It wasn't. Right. I don't remember. Maybe it was Nancy Drew. Maybe that was I think it, it but... is Nancy Drew. Yeah. Okay. I think in the same universe. Yeah. I think. He's the hardy boy. Right. <laughs> Maybe he's a composite of both of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we're at Starcourt. Uh, the thing that stood out to me, among a lot of things, is hot dog on a stick. And I'm like, that's a corn dog. Why are you calling yeah. it a hot dog on a stick? Maybe <laughs> maybe it migrated to become a, a corn dog, or maybe it's a hot dog on a stick in the mall only. But it still looked amazing, and I was ready it, to it chow did. down on. <laughs> it made me hungry. Even the even the really greasy French fries that they oh gosh that they put the the hot dog on a stick down in the basket with. They, I mean, it all just looked very appetizing, and yeah, made me yeah made me want to go to Starcourt. I'm 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 gonna look for a Starcourt somewhere uh, in my travels in the future. I think <laughs> they need to open. I've decided a retro '80s shopping mall where it actually looks like this and has all the stores from that era and all the products from that era. I mean, I think it would be a huge hit. <laughs> Cosign. Cosign. <laughs> like, but fully functional. Like, you can actually buy stuff. You can buy the clothes. Like, everything's from the era. There's a Sam Goody with, with records and CDs and cassettes, and all, all but only stuff from <laughs> that time period. Yep. Um, I, I agree. Wow. We, we some of the styles have come back. Why not? Um, I, I'm fully optimistic that we're going to start getting video stores again. And if you think about in this time, what was really big was retro 50s things like 50s diners, 
50s dances in high school, like 50s themed dances or drive-in movie theaters became really big again in the 80s, which and they were huge in the 50s. So there was like this weird thing where everything that was 50s became kind of cool again in the, in the 80s. And so here we are, you know, 30 years later and 80s is cool again. <laughs> yeah. You and I should franchise a cafe 80s nationwide. There you go. <laughs> complete complete with major characters as uh, Max Hedrum. <laughs> That's right. I was going to say with Max Hedrum. <laughs> Hedrum. Beep, beep, beef or pork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ronald Reagan is Max Hedrum. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never, I still couldn't figure out how you open the Pepsi, by the way. Um, to this day, I don't know how you open a Pepsi that's shaped Upside like that. Down. I don't think we, yeah. Yeah. He never opens it, does he? And by the way, we're talking about Back to the Future too right now. You know, we didn't mention that. We we're just on like a a similar wavelength. <laughs> we know what the other just a little thinking. headline there, yeah. 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 <laughs> News flash. We're talking about Back to the Future. Shocker. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, this is the moment that Dustin and Steve reunite, and it is amazing. Like yeah. one of my favorite moments in this episode. The Star Wars greeting is fantastic. And what's even better is is Robin's reaction. She says, how many children are you friends with? (laughs) And his reaction is kind of like, I don't know. Okay. Like, he's just, he's fine with it. What's wrong with it? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't see anything wrong with this. He's like, he's my bro. You know, that's basically, (laughs) they've they've got this weird bromance that is so much fun. They clearly Mm -hmm. are so different. As individuals, not just by age, but in terms of their interests. I mean, they they share some pop culture interests, such as Star Wars, as we as we just mentioned. But he's clearly more of a, and has been throughout high school, more of a sports star. And he's polar opposite, science geek. But somehow, through the the adventures they've had thus far, they have formed a, a bond, and this kind of bromance has formed, and it's great. I'm still looking for my road movie or road show of the adventures of Steve and Dustin because I think that's that, that a, would be that's epic. a good spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put that up there with Cafe 80s nationwide. There you go. Dustin briefs Steve on all the ongoings from episode one and, you know, including his hotter than Phoebe Kate's girlfriend. He says, Brilliant. Too. And she doesn't even care that my real pearls are still coming in. She says kissing is better without teeth. At this point, I want to trust that Dustin has a girlfriend. I kind of believe that he does because this is probably the most outlandish thing that he would say in terms of if he didn't have a girlfriend. So if it's true, I really want to meet her because she's a champ for being with this boy. And I guess you would call it gummy kisses is what that would probably be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will. uh, I will not say anything more about that for now. And we'll just uh, wait and see. He also mentioned that his friends ditched him and that they won't get to share in the glory of his discovering that he intercepted a Russian communication. This whole bit was yeah. fantastic where he's like, he tries to whisper it because we're in the Cold War era and he has to keep it down. And he finally yells it so Steve can understand it. And it's like a record scratch. Yeah, and like yeah everybody, everybody turns. Yeah. <laughs> And honestly, I think it's because he yelled and not because of what he said. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> but it yeah. makes it so much more. Yeah, it's so much more fun. And the the sort of irony is that no one in the mall could care less. You know, they they there's they're not interested in what they're talking about. So it's just Dustin's sort of conspiratorial nature 
that he thinks everybody's a spy and you know yeah yeah, yeah it reminds me of that scene in Jurassic Park Dodson Dodson we've got Dodson here see nobody cares <laughs> Yeah, probably because they don't speak English either, so they don't know what you're right. saying. <laughs> but right. yeah, you're making a good point. Right. So he recruit he recruits Steve to help translate the message. He throws the Russian to English book down, and I've got to ask. I think it's maybe because of the maturity that he sees in Steve that he thinks this guy would know. But I would not pick Steve Harrington as the guy to to translate a Russian message. But I guess you know he's your bro. He's yeah. the guy you're going to lean into. I, I think he just looks up to him. He's, he's older, so I think he may, you know, he, in his mind, he probably thinks he's older, he's more experienced, he knows more people, he might have, you know, be able to help me. And I think he trusts him is the main thing right now is he trusts that he will keep it a secret and he will help him figure out what this is, even if he's not personally very, <laughs> very helpful in that pursuit. But, you know, as he said, his other friends kind of ditched him. So it's not that he... He wouldn't have brought it to them first, but he he's feeling a little bit left out right now. So he went to Steve. Yep. And then we're in the street with Max on her skateboard, and we're also in the basement. I really, really like scenes like this where you have having to navigate these two scenes. And I'm, I don't know the logistics beyond like, okay do we shoot the scenes independently and then edit them together? I think it's, I think that's probably what happens is you shoot them independent so you can capture all the stuff and then the editors come in and then splice them together. But there's a real craftsmanship to being able to create this kind of rhythm between two sets of dialogue. I've seen it in movies and TV shows where you have almost like you have one person finishing a sentence that a person has started it's almost like a continuing thought. I think that's great writing, but it's also fantastic editing because there is a beat, like a like a boom, ba boom, ba boom, and I really, really sense that in this sort of dual scene in the basement, in Mike's basement, and in um, I guess it's Max's house where she's talking to L about how boys are stupid and you need to dump him if he's yeah. not being honest with you, and the opposite thing is happening with Mike and Lucas. Lucas is like, look, you screwed up and you need to fix it. So many like just intricate lines here that make it perfect. Uh, Lucas says, the way you handle this, you're in deep crap. And then Max says, if he doesn't explain himself, dump him. (laughs) So those two lines sort of set up the scene as we get to move through it in in such a fun way. It's interesting too, because in some shows that are less plotted out or less planned this might be the type of scene that an editor sort of discovers through the edit and decides to interweave the two you know conversations and then it's amazing but i have a feeling the way this was written was this you know it was was cutting back and forth so the editor knew this is how it's going to work you know we're going to be sort of as you said finding a rhythm where we go back and forth between these two conversations it may have been storyboarded I just have a hunch that this is the type of show with the type of budget where everything is kind of mapped out very carefully uh, and pre-visualized in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it feels very intentional the way right. that we get from the beginning to the end because the beginning starts out the same. You've got two girls coming together. One girl gives another girl advice. You've got two guys coming together. One guy giving the other guy advice. 
they both end up going to the mall, but for completely different reasons. And it's because of all that cool dialogue in the middle. And in particular, there's almost like this battle cry speech that Lucas gives when he says, you can fix this. It's just one little mistake. I've made hundreds, thousands. Max has dumped me five times. But what have I done? Huh? Have I despaired? No. I've marched back into battle, and I've won her back every single freaking time. How? I'll show you. Come on. And I'm like, you need like some kind of patriotic music behind that, because that's, <laughs> right. that's inspirational right there, Lucas. Good for you. Right. Sadly, the only thing behind him is poor Will just setting up D&D to play. And he's just like, dude, all this kid wants. (laughs) It's like, guys, I've had two horrible years. Can we just play this game that I love? (laughs) Can we do this? Yeah. It's so sad. And I love that they leave. And he's like, guys, where are you going? At that that point, I thought he was just going to stay there. Of course, we find out that he goes with them. I'm glad they either came back or waited for him. But... I'm at least glad that he sticks with this uh, this pair of adventurers for for love. <laughs> yeah. Then we get to the pool. Billy shows up. Mrs. Wheeler heads to the locker rooms where he is. There's a music change, which usually equals something bad is going to happen. And I think we talked about this a little bit on the first couple of seasons of Stranger Things, how music plays a great part, not only in the soundtrack, but the different types of music sort of hinting at happier times or innocent versus like despair and things like that. And this is one of those moments where, okay, Billy's coming. He doesn't have the swagger, doesn't have the glasses on. The last time we saw him, he's talking to himself in the sort of upside down. And so I'm asking the question, what's happening here? He's sweating like a fat man in a hot tub. He is sweating. (laughs) And I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, Mrs. Wheeler tries to talk to him and boom, head to the shelf. And I'm like, oh, and then we get the cut. It's not. It's him thinking about doing that. I've got questions at this point, like, who is this Billy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and this scene kind of, first of all, I, I really liked how they shot it because they have Billy facing away from Mrs. Wheeler for most of the conversation. So we're seeing him just sort of sweat profusely while she's talking to him, but she's not seeing his face yet, which I think was really interesting, an interesting choice. But then, as you said, when we see him smash her head against the wall, it kind of reminded me of that scene from True Lies when Arnold is in the car with Bill Paxton. Uh-huh. And, saying, yeah. he, and Bill's saying all this horrible <laughs> stuff about his wife. And then you see him basically hit him in the, in the face and his nose is like broken and bleeding. And then it cuts back to him laughing again, like it was all in Arnold's head. So it's a it's a good technique to use when you kind of it is kind of go into the character's mind of what, like what they wish they could do right now. But in this case, it's a little different because, like you said, we don't really know what's going on with Billy. He's clearly been infected. We don't know if this is somebody controlling him, if this is what he wants to do or is being told to do, but he just doesn't do it. Does he restrain himself here from taking that action because he's still somewhat in control of himself? These are questions that I think haven't been answered yet. No, but there are some confirmation. At least I think there are. He says, stay away from me, Karen. And then he goes to do his job sort of as a lifeguard, which tells (laughs) me that this is not a different Billy. This is Billy who is clearly possessed, has something inside of him or doing something to him, because I don't think a upside down Billy would have the knowledge or 
be able to have the consciousness of right. restraining himself from doing what we saw him potentially do. And I think it sort of shows that by him saying, stay away from me, Karen, he might be so- saying it in an angry way, but I think that's the real Billy trying to like protect her because he actually does care about her and doesn't want anything bad to happen to her. That's kind of what I took away from that. Is yeah, that he me was too. trying to distance anybody that he not that he cares about a lot of people but he he can feel some these urges coming in, you know through him and he just needs to get away from anybody that he doesn't want to get hurt yeah yeah like he knows he's infected he knows the kind of danger right. that people are in around him and so he's just trying to stabilize at that point right then we're back at scoops ahoy where luca's sister is sampling all the ice cream all of the ice cream, right. in particular one flavor of ice cream. I was hoping that this joke would actually land in a way where she's like had her fifth or sixth sample and she's like, you know what? I'm good. Like I would right. love for that to have happened, <laughs> but I feel like that's what she was doing. Like she's not sampling because she's just being annoying. She's like getting her fill of a particular ice cream, which is why she asked for that flavor again. I forget what it was, but I feel like yeah. people do that. I've, I've done that, you know, in some ways. I'm like, let me get like five samples. There was that little uh, like receptacle right there on the counter to put the little sample sticks, you know, in when you're done. And it was filled to the top. So I don't know if those were all hers, but clearly a lot of people are coming in there for free samples. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're friends with Steve, you get free ice cream. So that's, that's the right, ultimate yeah. method. Just become friends with Steve. She's annoyed. Robin's annoyed. And then she says, listen, you got to take over. And we find out that she actually has like super hearing, apparently, <laughs> like Superman. And she knows what they're doing, that they're listening to this tape. As they're listening to it, Steve recognizes the music and apparently loves a good banana. Like he is just kind of chowing down, getting his potassium in. But again, <laughs> yeah. these are these are things that come back to us. This is good right. writing. I've talked about this before, about good stand-up comedy drops a joke at the beginning and then refers back to it. So you know it's strategically placed. Right. That mention of the music comes back later as an aha moment. But at the time, it's a nice little throwaway where it looks like Steve, like we would think, is just being distracted by other stuff. And Dustin's like, no, pay attention to the words. And that's when Robin comes in. Yeah. And I really like this trio that's forming. The dynamic between the three of them is it's it's really fun. It's like this entire series is all about sort of groups of characters that have sort of parallel adventures or journeys and then of course they all eventually come together towards the end and i kind of like this group i'm in some ways most excited about the three of them on their kind of conspiratorial quest to figure out what's going on with this russian message it's just yeah because it's humorous you know you've kind of got the mom and the dad figure and the kid in a way (laughs) you know it's kind of going Mm -hmm. on this little adventure together yeah robin when she tells him that she's been hearing and she knows exactly what's going on, I like that she says, my ears are little geniuses. <laughs> I hope to be able to use that line at some point when I hear something and like, how did you know I said that? Well, my ears are little geniuses. So I'm just going right. to let you know that right now. <laughs> well, and she says she speaks four languages fluently. None of which, which are Russian, by the way. <laughs> but if you're good at languages, if you have that ear for learning languages, it makes it that much easier. Some people really have trouble learning other languages. Some people, it's True. very very easy for them they just they have a way uh, of sort of picking it up very quickly so clearly she's Mm -hmm. one of those individuals i'm not one of those individuals so i represent the other i'm not either i'm not yeah 
I only know the language of love now. <laughs> <That's not true. laughs> Is that the international language that's used in Better Off Dead? <laughs> no time for love, Dr. Jones. Okay. Oh, there you go. So we, <laughs> I was referring to Better Off Dead, and you throw some like oh, Temple of Doom at me. I like it. <laughs> Two other 80s movies that are worth watching. So next we're at the Driscoll house. And as we know, this is the woman that called and Nancy answered and she left that kind of cryptic message about rats and poison and things like that. And one thing that I observed about her is that she's so matter of fact about everything. And I don't know if it's just for, for laughs, but I love that she's not scared that she's just like, yeah, the little turds got in my, my fertilizer. And uh, Nancy's like, are you sure they did? I mean, do you think it was them? She's like, yeah, I just bought that stuff last Tuesday at this fertilizer store. And she's like, okay. And and then at the end of the scene, we get this loud noise. She's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I captured one of them bastards. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I think it's just that when you're a person of a certain age, you lose that filter and you stop caring. You really have nothing to lose. Yep. You just kind of stop caring what people think of you, what you say. And I think she's at that age. I mean, you've lived a long life. You've seen a lot. So not much is going to phase you at a certain point. And yeah, I think that's why she is the way she she is in this scene. She she reminds me of a softer version of Large Marge from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where she's just (laughs) has that kind of gruffness to her, but she does have a little soft side. You know, she's offering Nancy some lemonade while she's making her calls. She's like, I like the company. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's just like, I want community, even though I like capturing crazy rats in in my basement. And then we're at the courthouse. Jim is visiting Mayor Klein. Wow, what a great surprise. I didn't I, I did not know this that Carrie Ells coming in playing Mayor Another Klein. 80s icon brought back by the Duffers. Yeah. They're doing a really good job I think of finding kind of iconic 80s actors and giving them great little supporting roles that kind of bolster the show and uh, yeah. yeah, this is a fun one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great casting choice and he really, I think, is he enjoys this character. Like, he, it looks like he's enjoying playing yeah. this character. You know, leaning back, cutting the tip off of his cigars. He's talking to to Jim. It's like I'm in control. I am the mayor. Dang it! Right. And here's the reason why. You know, he's apparently been the guy behind bringing them all in. He offers what I would consider at least some half decent reasons why it's a good idea. It's created more jobs, although the mom and pop shops have suffered. So jobs have been lost, jobs have been gained. But the big issue here is that he doesn't like the protesters outside. And Jim's like, well, they got a right to be here. I mean, it's part of the constitution. And I love that Klein really kind of throws that back in his face. He goes, yeah, but they kind of need a permit to do that, don't they, Jim? And they have to go through your office. I don't think they've done that, have they? Yeah, he's like, uh, not to my knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, reluctantly. Yeah, it's like you got me yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He sees him as being a nuisance to his re-election campaign. Uh, you hinted at the story moving into the Fourth of July, so there's the the first sort of hint that we're moving into the Fourth of July. By the way, in our last episode, we talked about Back to the Future. It did yep. release Fourth of July weekend, so there was no sneak preview. The kids could not have snuck into Back to the there Future. It was simply That's a poster. Yeah. So, yeah, coming soon. Yeah, it's yeah. It might be soon. the next, you know, the next movie they all you know want to go see. Yes, still a better choice than Romero's, you know, Walking Dead or Undead or Day of the yeah. Dead or something dead. <laughs> Which I I feel like I have to see now since I haven't seen. Yeah. It, I feel like I need to maybe just uh, check that off my list. 
Well, the only thing that I've seen of it, I would call it the Happy Hands Club with, with that particular scene of all those hands coming right. out to, to right. grab you. But but it does seem intriguing. It's one of those I think is worth worth checking out. Definitely. So he gets Hopper to get rid of them. And then we're back at Starcourt. This is where Max and Elle arrive and they take it all in. We're reminded at this point that Eleven is a shut-in, essentially. Like, she can't leave the house. And I start to have a little bit of sympathy for her because really the only outlet she has are Mike's tonsils, you know, when they're kissing. And that's about it. <laughs> and television, you know. And television, tel- you know, yeah. That's her her yeah. outlet to the outside world. Except for her, yeah. sh- her uh, short episode last season where she went off to <laughs> Chicago. But Yeah. <laughs> it's a great adventure, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you notice when they, um, when everyone's getting off the bus to go to Starcore, how everybody kind of looks up? And we haven't even seen them all yet, but they, the way they look up, it's almost like they've arrived at like a grand cathedral of capitalism. <laughs> you know, and they kind of. <laughs> I- you know what I mean? And then they cut to you yeah. see, the, you're like, Star Court. It's like you expect to hear angels <laughs> mm-hmm. singing. I didn't notice everybody doing that. I noticed them, of course. But that's definitely a great visual because of just the extravagance of it. I mean, right. as we know, malls were things that were popping up and they were they were a big deal. Like the idea of having multiple stores in an enclosed area and also having like an area to eat food and also an area to do this go to a movie like you, you basically yeah. could stay if it was raining you could stay indoors all day and go to an right. arcade get mm-hmm. snacks like you just had everything you needed to basically waste your entire day <laughs> indoors exactly yeah so they go in to the mall max says what do you want to do first and she's like i don't know Great little kind of rotating camera shot where they're sort of capturing the the bigness of it all. And they decide to go to the Gap first, which is what you should do. The Gap, or yeah. at this point, Old Navy, is probably what I would consider synonymous with the mall. Like right. a clothing store in general, but specifically the Gap. And they're owned by the they're owned by the same company now. Order. Yeah, the Gap, Banana yeah. Republic, Old Navy, they're yeah. all three owned by by Gap. So yeah, you should always go to a clothing store first shop a little bit and then get hungry and go to the food court and then go right. to the arcade. Like that's kind that's of right. the route that you should take. And then, and then that's you maybe my... end it with a movie or something. Yeah. You know, before you yeah. go home. <laughs> exactly. That's a good little, little path there. So for yeah. those of you, little, little pro tip for, for mall walking. For future mall rats. For future mall rats. Yes. If there are any where you are Aspiring. at this point when you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Cafe 80s, okay? When when we have all the Cafe 80s in the mall that you talk about, please go to the Cafe 80s. <laughs> Meanwhile, the uh, the boys are looking for something that says, I'm sorry. Not literally, as Lucas clarifies, right. but metaphorically. One of the things about Max that I like with her and Elle is, Elle's like, I don't know what to do here when she's in the gap and trying to figure out you know, what should I pick. And she says, just try something on until you find something that feels like you. Yeah. And I think that's just great advice in general about buying things. Like don't follow the trends if you don't have to. I mean, you shouldn't have to unless you're in a uniform for a private school and then you don't have a choice. But be you. It's a great kind of promotion of be an individual. Be 11. Yeah, like what calls to you? Find something that that speaks to you, that represents your personality. And I think at this point, she doesn't really know that's, I think, the issue is she hasn't really been exposed to very much to know what her choices are. So this is like mm-hmm. the first time kind of getting, you know, a huge array of options to look at beyond whatever hand-me-down clothes she's been wearing 
a from, giant shirt is what she's been wearing for yeah, like the last baggy. 15 episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, again, we're going to keep going back to the back to the future, but it's like, I think about, um, Michael J. Fox in three movies, he has to wear the same pair of jeans, the same pair of shoes, the same shirt for like five years worth of movies. Exactly. <laughs> that's got to get it. That's got to get old pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're back at the general store and Joyce becomes a student. This was kind of a surprise to me. We see all these books on the the counter because nobody's in there. The Kodak photo lab we saw earlier was shut down. I don't think anybody works here. I think she is the sole proprietor of the general <laughs> store. Honestly, she clearly had time to go to the library to get all these textbooks out, science books, because they looked, you know, they all had the you know the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Um, label on the on mm-hmm. the spine so she'd probably just closed up the shop for an hour <laughs> went to the library down the street not losing many sales there yet yeah <laughs> she's nothing better to do just yeah getting curious and she's she's studying electromagnetism she gets frustrated and then she gets in her car and she takes off and i'm going well where, are you going back to the library you're gonna go look at some microfiche and figure out if there's <laughs> yeah. some more history on electromagnetism and then she drives up to a house, rings the doorbell. We hear My Bologna by Weird Al <laughs> yes. Yankovic playing in the background. In the garage, there is an individual painting figurines. And I'm like, is this the garage door opens and Mr. <laughs> Clark comes out with his binocular glass things that yeah, I don't know yeah. what you'd call those. Yeah, it opens all like he's a superhero, you know, like that yeah, scene from In- Adventures yeah. in Babysitting when uh, yes. Thor appears, you know. <laughs> yes. It's such a great moment. And I was so happy to see him. I didn't know when we'd get to see Mr. Clark again or what impact he was going to have. But I was so glad to see him in this episode and what they're starting to do with him because uh, yep. he just makes me happy. <laughs> and they kind of do need him. He's clearly the one that helps them figure out all the clues that they collect, at least all the scientific clues. He's, yeah, he's basically the adult Dustin. (laughs) This is is. who Dustin will probably become one day. (laughs) Probably. If the AV club has anything to say about it, yes. Right. One thing I want to point out is that I feel like, and I could be wrong, but in all three of these seasons, one thing I think the Duffers have done is they've incorporated multiple types of like clues and mechanisms Mm-hmm. to push their story along. It's not just a monster, but it's like a byproduct. So it's like tunnels or right. it's like dead plants and dead pumpkins and what that's like, goo. We've talked about the mythology, but I like that it's not one-dimensional. Obviously, the Upside Down makes it multidimensional. But in right. the case of having a sense of mythology to the story, and I think what makes Stranger Things so appealing at this point for me is the fact that it doesn't feel repetitive in terms of like, we're going back to the smoke monster, we're going back to the Demogorgon. These feel like appropriate movie sequels where you have the same core group of kids that are sort of pushing the story along, but they're on a brand new adventure. And I think that's really, really fantastic. It makes it more anthological than anything else. It doesn't just feel like, okay, uh, let's see where Mike ends up at the end of the series. No, we're, we're thinking, okay, what are they going to have to deal with at this point in their lives? Right. No, I agree. And I think that each season, again, even though they are episodic, it really becomes, and this goes along with the kind of bingeable way that the series is released, you really do 
get one complete story out of each season. Each season of eight or nine episodes tells it's like one long epic movie <laughs> in a way that you're getting over the course of smaller installments. And I think that's the approach that they've taken here is that you walk away with sort of a sense of, oh, this is what this season was about. This was the problem they had to solve. This was the creature, the monster they had to fight. And of course, there are threads that carry through each season, but you can kind of watch each season as a result. You can watch each season independently of one another if you wanted to revisit one, right. just like you could with a good film. Even if it's the middle chapter, you could watch, say, The Empire Strikes Back without having to rewatch Star Wars because it, it has a, a story that it tells all on its own. Right. So then we go to the Driscoll house. Jonathan's trying to take a picture of the captured rat. It can't stop moving. Nancy's making her phone calls that we alluded to earlier. One, I believe, to Blackburn's farm supply, which is where Mrs. Driscoll got the feed. Right. We don't get the payoff for that. So I'm hoping we'll get that. I'm assuming in, in episode three, maybe something's up with that place because she says she has a lead. Like it looks like she's like, okay, cool. We got to go. Right. And she goes down to get Jonathan. The rat starts convulsing. It then explodes after they've left. And then it turns into a jello mold that nobody wants to eat. This <laughs> no. is probably like the newest kind of contraption of the Duffer Brothers that I don't understand. But it reminds me of the goo that's on Billy's car. So obviously this is connected to that. It slithers out and then starts crawling on the floor. I think at one point with the special effects, it almost looks like there's an arm that kind of reaches out to pull it forward as it begins yeah. to kind of slither away. It's a very, really great effect, actually, even though it's gross. <laughs> the way it kind of has its own sort of way of movement, you know, as if it, it looks like a blob, you know, like you said, it's just without any arms, legs, or head, but it sort of feels like it has a body and the way it kind of slowly squeezes through the cage and kind of rolls off the counter and flops onto the floor. Like it's actually quite clever the way they did this. And I'm always impressed when, you know, you can come up with something that's sort of visually new and hasn't been done before. Yeah, you're right. And I was reminded of, I've, I've alluded to Better Off Dead before in this episode. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with uh, John Cusack. And A long time ago, yeah. It's not one that I've seen in 30 years, probably. Yeah, well, it's it's worth revisiting, just personally, yeah. I'm going to tell you. It's a lot of fun. I grew up with my brother, and I grew up with this. We It was one of the ones we quoted all the time. Without going into too much detail... The main character's mom is real quirky. She's always experimenting with different types of meals and stuff. And so she makes this jello mold that she got from a recipe in a magazine, but the pages ran together because of the rain. And so she says she got creative with the ingredients and it, it becomes this, or it's this blob that she lays down. And at one point it starts sort of crawling away. And I was like, this feels oh. like a little callback to that movie. <laughs> yeah. But I know that Better Off Dead is not, it's, it's kind of an obscure movie. You know, it's not like completely like B movie, but it's not like very popular. So I don't think that's the case, but I was reminded of Better Off Dead, that scene in Better Off Dead when I saw sure. it. It's only a lot more advanced. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. So we're back at the Upside Down, and I think this is a flashback to when Billy encountered his Upside Down self because he's asking, what do you want? And Upside Down Billy, as I call him, says to build. Very cryptic. And Billy, of course, yells, like all of us do. I yeah. don't understand. I'm like, I don't either, Billy. 
<laughs> you're not alone yeah. in that, sir. So then he wakes up at the pool, which the the way this is shot, I'm like, I've done this. I've woken up from being like completely like sun sunbathed. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, how, right. how long has this been? Of course, I wasn't in the lifeguard chair. That's kind of irresponsible. But of course, we know what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Billy, who's possessed, and not Billy, who's right. trying to get with uh, Mrs. Wheeler. But um, he wakes up at the pool, stumbles to the shower, and then his skin looks like it's deforming or burning. Yeah, I think especially his like left arm was really exposed. I think there's one shot where we see his like left arms or elbows like really not just sunburnt, but like burnt. Like the su- clearly the sun, yeah. and they show this a couple times where he looks up at the sun, and it like hurts his eyes. So he, clearly he's he's sensitive to the light now mm-hmm. in this current yeah. state that he's in. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe he got touched by upside yeah. down Billy on that arm, which is why that specifically is being sort of that's it. Yeah, that's called interesting. Out. Yeah, I don't know. But then a girl comes up to him. It's that yes, the other lifeguard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She comes up and she says both take me to him or I said, are you hurt? So now we're starting to hear more of this like possessive brain of Billy's where he's being used as a conduit to get a victim. And it's a cool effect because it looks as though (laughs) she's saying it, but in actuality we're seeing both his viewpoint and then our viewpoint. And so we realize, okay, Clearly, he is possessed at this point. I think that's when I got confirmation that, yeah, this is not upside down Billy because upside down Billy would probably be a little bit happier, a little yeah. bit more more in control. Right. But he's clearly been sort of trying to fight whatever this is internally up until this point. And now it, it appears as though it's sort of taken hold of him more firmly. And then it kind of cuts, but like it looks like he's about to move towards her, but then it cuts, which is very interesting. Like you don't really see what happens next at least not yeah not right away that's becoming a common thing you don't see what happens yeah. next until <laughs> until <laughs> it's two scenes later or an episode later and it's yeah. uh, it's good it's good for tension back at starcourt l gets a social makeover yes great <laughs> use of madonna's material girl again episode yep. two totally on point with the songs being used and as they're coming out of the store i love the look here the shot looks like the end of a commercial for JC Penny. Like yeah. it's like they just come out of JC Penny and they're right. like, I'm so happy because I've shot. And they're kind of it's sort of slow motion and like kind of yeah. they're bouncing. There's a bounce to their step. And yeah, it's uh yeah. they're so happy and smiling and, mm-hmm. and and I did notice up on the second floor I saw a Walden books, which I don't know if you have oh, Walden yeah. books, but Oh totally did, yeah. That was where I used to go to discover so many, you know, science fiction books or graphic novels. You know, while my parents were shopping elsewhere, I would just kind of camp out <laughs> in Walden books and yeah. sit, you know, in the little aisle or, or a corner wherever they had the graphic novels or, or sci-fi mm-hmm. fantasy books. And that was my place. It was a precursor to the Books a Million and Barnes and Noble that we've gotten right. used to now. But it really was a, a store that felt quaint. Like it wasn't a huge bookstore. It had a lot no. of different types of genres. And I remember clearly walking into a Walden books and seeing a lot of Dean Koontz. My mom was really big into Dean Koontz. Yeah. Maybe she still yeah. is. I don't know. But I, I remember shopping at Walden books one year for Christmas and yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. I can get over the latest Dean Koontz thick book that you could use as like a step because there were so right. many pages in this like small paperback. 
And Dean Koontz usually had like a big display of his latest book out front, you know, yeah. you would, whereas like the stuff I wanted was like way in the back, you know, the forgotten corner aisle <laughs> somewhere <laughs> where no one actually realm. ventured. Yeah. These are for the other people that shop here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So after some glamour shots and L trying on some heels and failing, they find a moment where, again, L's powers are used for fun. And she makes a drink explode. Now, the girl that they basically prank, I don't think is anybody significant. I think it's like, oh, cool. This is some girl with her friends. Let's have some fun with this. I'm, I'm guessing that's the case. Well, there was those girls. The three girls were when she fell. Remember, she was trying on the high heels and she oh, fell that's down. Right, yeah. It kind of cuts to them. They kind of look over at her all like in sync. They kind of turn their heads in a very kind of pretty woman-esque moment where they're kind of judging her, looking at her with disdain. It's a quick shot. Like, you could totally miss it. But clearly, she was upset with how they were looking at her. So they decided to uh, get a little revenge. Okay. Yeah, that makes, yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Mike is still searching for the perfect I'm sorry gift. And there's this great bit with the lingerie. I still do this. I'm 43 years old at the time of this <laughs> recording. And every time I pass by a Victoria's Secrets or a Fredericks of Hollywood, I just feel awkward, even though I'm married and have a child. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's just a maturity thing or a guy thing or a callback to my childhood, but there's just something about being a dude and walking up to a lingerie store and not feeling like you're being inappropriate. Right. Like, am I supposed to be looking at this or yeah. <laughs> should I just keep walking? <laughs> Yeah. And the, the cap on this, Adam, is Will continuing to ask, can we play D&D now? Oh, my God. Yeah. I just feel so bad for him. Poor kid. <laughs> I noticed, too, uh, as they were walking away, uh, a sign on the one of the walls said, Taco Bell coming soon. I was like, that's Oh, my really gosh. I didn't see that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's so a clearly, classic mall. Yeah, I know. And, and I store right and there. that makes sense because I remember the first time I ever went to a Taco Bell was probably late 80s. So it would make sense. I think that's when they started popping up in the mid 80s. Yeah. And I think the great part about that was that they were the first restaurant or fast food place to stay open really late. Right. So you would go to the movie at the mall and then you could just hop over to Taco Bell and grab yourself a couple of late night yeah, tacos exactly. or burritos on the way home. I remember doing that several times being like, all right, I'm going to go see this movie and then going to get a late night snack, which probably wasn't good for my metabolism, but you know, right. I enjoyed Especially that. Taco Bell. That's the, the irony is that it, you know, it was open to like 2 or 3 a.m. or whatever it was, but that's like the worst thing to eat. If you're about to go to sleep, like oh, it's going to keep you up all night, you know, dude, dude, I would in high school, I would on Thursday nights, I lived in Little Rock, which you have no idea where that is, obviously, except if you look on a map, but I would travel to Sherwood about 15 minutes to 20 minutes away from my house on Thursday nights at eight o'clock. And I would play roller hockey. There was a late night Thursday night gig where I would, I would play and sweat profusely because it was roller hockey and not ice right. hockey. Of course, you sweat in ice hockey too. But I was a goalie. I was a goalie, and so I had all this gear on, and I would stink like crazy afterwards. And it was the one night of the week where I could break curfew, uh, where my parents would let me break the city curfew because I was out doing something that was supervised and right. not illegal. And I, I kid you not, this was the days when the modem was coming online, and you could chat until whenever. I would go home go to the Taco Bell and my my food of choice at like 10 30 11 o'clock at night is 
two regular tacos, two soft tacos, a bean burrito, and a double-decker taco. Every <laughs> week I would do this. I would go home, not shower, and then I would cop online, go to my chat rooms, and eat my tacos and burritos until like 12, 30, 1 o'clock, and then I'd go to bed. And then, of course, I would shower the next day and be extremely right. tired and be the well-rounded student that didn't get any really great grades because of these extracurricular <laughs> activities. But yeah, Taco right. Bell was a huge part of my high school career in terms of my being a student or at that point a hockey player. And yeah, it was it was a significant part of my life then. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, in college, it was even more so for us because we would, you know, be up all night long. And mm-hmm. it was actually open 24 hours at this point, the one that was by where I went to school. And so we would just get in our car at three in the morning. Let's go to Taco Bell. And we would go to Taco yeah. Bell and we would get food and, and be eating it at four in the morning. And, you know, you're young, your body can handle it, but I, I couldn't do that anymore. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I get tempted if I have to go to a late movie for feeling film, like one that I don't have right. time to go see during the day before we have to record. I'm always tempted. There's a Taco Bell right outside the movie theater. It's calling. Uh, not in the mall. There's, yeah, it's it, it's calling, and I'm not answering. I'm putting the phone down. Yeah, and then if if it's not, yeah, if that's not bad enough, as I'm driving home, there's one that's probably maybe a mile from my house on the way home. So I have oh, to kind of go la 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 la. Yeah. Go to bed. Go to bed. Go to bed. And if it's a movie that I've like totally amped for, a lot of action and stuff that makes me wired, it's difficult sometimes it's, to yeah. not just go in there and just get like a like a chalupa or something. I mean, I definitely <laughs> yeah, don't do yeah. the the like high school menu snack. But, yeah. Yeah. It's also more expensive. Like those things I remember when tacos were they were advertising fifty nine, seventy nine, oh, yeah. ninety nine for your three levels of, of tacos. That's not the case. Every taco yeah, the is plain, at least a dollar twenty five. Plain hard shell taco used to be like sixty nine cents, I remember growing yeah. up. Yeah. I feel like. Do you yeah. remember the early slogan when they were advertising staying up late? I remember this. They changed it after about six months because I thought this was very odd. What their what slogan was, was get late at the bell. And oh, if you said it no, fast enough, it would sound mildly inappropriate, like get laid at the bell. And I'm like, yeah, mm, I, didn't, I don't think that that's not st- really what you want to know. <laughs> no. And so it, it changed fairly quickly. I remember it. Be, I, that, I mean, you could probably find a commercial on YouTube, but I remember that being one of the first taglines for when they were, they were advertising staying open late. And I remember that being very odd uh, as a, as a yeah, high school. They probably recognized the, uh, the mistake and quickly corrected it. Good old days. Taco Bell. Glad we're yep. seeing a little bit of it here. <laughs> so then we're back at Scoops Ahoy. Robin gets their first sentence of uh, what I would call verbal Russian roulette, where they're trying to figure out all the letters. Steve is working the front, and he's getting ice cream for L and for Max. What I think is great about these first two episodes is that Steve is almost getting no respect from anybody. Like, I don't f- no. I feel like Dustin's the only one that's showing him love. Everybody else, like he's asking L. Are you supposed to even be here? And they start laughing at him. He's like, "What? When did I lose my mojo?" I think that's what yeah, he's asking. Yeah. And I almost want him to take the hat off and be like, "Is it the hair? Do I not show my mojo because I can't see? You can't see the hair." But he's clearly not not getting any kind of love from anybody except Dustin. But but he kind of redeems himself at the end of this episode by uh, yes, he figuring does. something important out. Yeah. So outside the mall, there's a confrontation with the boys and the girls. Elle is mad. Obviously, uh, they're trying to really make excuses. Like I thought your grams was sick and like, she is sick. That's why we're here. We're getting her something nice. And also Mike's like, I'm getting you something. I was trying to find you something, but I only have like three fifty, <laughs> And <laughs> that yep. wasn't a lot. Even back then, L is mad 
and she says, you lie. Why do you lie? Dot, dot, dot. I dump your ass. <laughs> so yep. here's what I think is great. Millie Bobby Brown is so much fun in this. I recently got the aha moment, didn't realize that she was British. And yeah. I'm just so used to her being Elle. Um, she is, she's very, I mean, she's just charming and very just when she's dressed like a celebrity like she's she looks so much like professional so beautiful and very different yeah and very articulate like most actors are but i love the way that they write her lines is that she's continuously expanding her vocabulary and the ability to articulate what she's saying and so when she says i dump your ass it's so great because it's completely l like it's it's her knowing what she's saying not just spouting off words, but saying it in a way that she understands. And so I imagine by like Stranger Things 12, when it gets to that point, <laughs> she's right. going to be fully Millie Bobby Brown. She's going to have the accent that she's supposed to have. And she's going to be right, talking right. in a way that's it's very much that way. But I, I love I love how she's articulating these things that sound fun and are entertaining, but at the same time are, are and communicating she's a point. Kind of, she's kind of regurgitating things that Max has told her, but in a very sort of exactly. slang manner, right? So she's kind of saying it. She means it, but she's saying it in a way that if someone else said it in sort of a slang manner, it would it would sound normal. But because of the way she delivers it, it sounds like somebody that doesn't really have full command of the English language just yet. <laughs> still, yeah. still figuring things out. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And the coda of this scene is Will saying, uh, now can we play now? D&D? No. <laughs> no. They're just, they're all over it. And he's, you know, whenever you have a group of friends, there's always going to be one that's a little bit left behind. One that's still hanging on to being a kid. The one that still wants to play games, that still wants to, you know, go trick-or-treating at Halloween. Everyone else has kind of moved on. So he's sadly the one. But he's, you can't really blame him. He kind of lost a year. When he was in the Upside Down. Which is probably why he has that haircut that he does, being a 13-year-old with an <laughs> 8-year-old haircut. So, But you know what's weird is that Jonathan doesn't have much better haircut, his older brother. So true. He also That's has true. the same kind of stringy, straight hair. You know, So they just need, they need yeah. someone to tell them. And Joyce doesn't have the best haircut. They all need haircuts. They all they need do. to get makeovers. Yeah, they need to put a salon in the mall so they can go shop there <laughs> right. and our barbershop and handle their business that way. Exactly. Then we're back at the courthouse. Hopper arrests Henry reluctantly, says, hey, if you want to do this, get a permit. And he's like, screw the permits. They're tearing down our town. Yeah. <laughs> and he puts him in the car. And then he gets a package delivered. I think it was Flo. It was our, our friend Flo from the police station. That's right. <laughs> I love Flo. Yeah, I can't remember her name. So sorry. Yeah. Much respect to Flo. I'm going to keep saying Flo. Think about Flo from, from the uh, the insurance commercials to make me remember that. But <laughs> yeah. It's clothing from J.C. Penney, I think. It was, yeah. At least the bag was, yeah. The, <laughs> the, yeah. the clothing was from Goodwill. Is that what it was? <laughs> right. <laughs> it could have been a repurposed J.C. Penney bag. You don't know. As <laughs> as they are, yeah. I think early yeah. in the eighties and nineties, I remember getting Christmas presents, and they were in the white boxes that you would get shirts yep. from. You know. Yeah. And I would always get like disappointed because I'm like, great, am I getting a shirt? Oh, and inside it was like a video game. Clothes, or a, yeah. Yeah. Because it was easier to wrap packages in exactly. a box, yeah. you know, so. 
Like you didn't know what that was. You know, if you right. had a Nintendo game box, hiding. I knew. Yeah, yeah, I knew what a Nintendo box looked like or a Nintendo game box. But if you put it in a shirt box, I'm like, really? College? Oh no, no, no! It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! Yay! Okay. <laughs> I always remember that uh, there was an episode of a Christmas episode of Roseanne, the show Roseanne, where DJ is always like shaking all the gifts under the tree, trying to figure out. He's like, ugh, clothes, ugh, clothes, he's shaking them all, ugh, more clothes. And then he leaves the room and Dan says to one of the other characters that they just wrapped all his presents in clothes and then <laughs> wrapped the boxes. So he thinks they're clothes. So That's awesome. Kind of, kind of ingenious, you know. That is good. That is good. I may have to may have to do that for my son because he knows what Nintendo Switch game boxes look like. <laughs> right. So if you really want to like trick your kid, that's a good way to do it. Just take old clothes, like old t-shirts. Put them inside that, then put those in a box and then wrap that. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. I also like the idea of taking a huge box that you're storing just a little bitty Christmas present in. Have them right. go like like the Russian dolls, like opening right. multiple Right. Nesting boxes. dolls. Yeah. Like one exactly. box after another. Yep. Nesting presents at that point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so from there... Hopper gets his clothes, and we see what he's wearing. Uh, he kind of looks like a poor man's Don Johnson to me. I don't know why that <laughs> right. kind of stood out. But he's at he's at the restaurant that they were going to uh, to have dinner. Right. And he's he's classic uh, David Harbour. He's classic Hopper here, which is the only character that is played by Hopper. Plays Hopper <laughs> is David Harbour. But he goes, "How's your Chianti?" Our Chianti is quite good. Chianti. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so but straight face. As as bad as David Harbour is with his pronunciation, I have to ask, why are the waiters so snooty? Why does why does that waiter have that accent like he's so better? They're not they're in Hawkins, Indiana. They're not in Italy. Right. Like right. isn't this probably a minimum wage worker working at this restaurant? Why does he think he's so much better? You know, this is like a TV trope or a movie trope where like the mm-hmm. when you go to when a character goes to a fancy restaurant, the waiters are so much higher class than the, the you know, the characters that they're serving. I've never seen that or witnessed that. Even in New York, I haven't seen that. It just doesn't seem realistic because unless you're paying these waiters, you know, $100,000 a year to wait because they're so well educated and so sophisticated, that's not likely going to happen. They're going to be minimum wage or or working for tips. And maybe they would have an accent if they're because they'd be knowledgeable in the the cuisine, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be snooty like that. Anyway, it's just a weird observation. It's a weird restaurant anyway. You've got that string quartet that's right. there, which makes for a nice atmosphere. But I'm thinking the same thing. Hawkins, Indiana. Not that Hawkins can't have classy things. Right. But when we're introduced to this town, it's a small town. Why are you going to have a fancy restaurant when you have a Taco Bell coming soon at the mall? That's going to pretty much <laughs> and it's take probably it over. the one fancy restaurant. It's that kind of sure. town where you have one nice restaurant that you go to for a special dinner or a date or whatever but again it's still going to be run by people from the town so exactly yeah they wouldn't treat their customers in such a disrespectful manner in my opinion but yeah i did want to point out that the string quartet the the shot just pauses on them again it could be a cigar is just a cigar but i felt like that's (laughs) something else happens later that we'll get into about that string quartet and and connected to something else. So I know we're like trying to go sequential, but hints, hints, yeah. hints all the way. <laughs> so then we go to Mr. Clark's house. 
always a teacher, showing Joyce about the ways of electromagnetic fields. I love that he calls it the Clark Byers electromagnetic field. So cool. Yes, and, yes. Uh, I mean, she probably doesn't have any kind of stake in that, but I think it's really cool. He's including her. He's, he's yeah. keep making her part of the experiment, and I think that's great. Yes. We also learned a new word. I think we learned a new word last week uh, from, from you, which is what the, oh, what was it, Nepo Baby? Oh, yeah, Nepo right? Baby. <laughs> so th- this episode's word is apophenia, which is seeing patterns that aren't there or coincidence, as Mr. Clark sort of gets us connected to. And um, through that conversation, Joyce is asking questions like, how could these magnets, showing how this works on a small scale, would that work on a bigger scale? And he says, potentially a large AC transformer could exist that would do what Joyce is actually seeing. And so that kind of gets her curiosity door opened as he calls right. it and yep. hopefully finding some discovery with that so again we're left open-ended with that along with a couple other things that make me excited about where that's gonna go right and again it's just this idea of like different sort of parallel investigations taking place at the same time and she's sort of on her own little quest of discovery uh and right now it's just sort of her with the help of mr clark but i don't know if he's really going to play a role further into the season or not i hope he does he needs more screen time for me (laughs) (laughs) yes or his uh, twin brother yes who who lives in (laughs) dallas (laughs) that's right (laughs) is doing similar things (laughs) right listen to our episodes on halt and catch fire to get that reference anyway (laughs) that's right (laughs) so then we're at a closed star court steve robin and dustin struggling with the translation, which they believe is a code because it's just weird phrases. And um, they pass by Sam Goody. I did see that. I miss Sam Goody. I think uh, I remember Sam Goody because I only was able to walk into like a handful of them because they weren't in my region. But Hastings was. It was basically a blockbuster and a Walden Books and a comic book store. And maybe there were some power tools. I don't know. But I think it was definitely those three and some <laughs> yeah. other stuff. But it was a really cool store to walk into. Ours was like two uh, two floors. So you have wow. all, the, yeah. all the books upstairs and all the movies and stuff downstairs along with kind of trinkets and what would be pop figures and things like that. Like right. pop paraphernalia. Kind of like the way Barnes & Noble is today in a way. You know, yeah. It, yeah. That would be the, the closest thing to it dominated by books but having the overpriced cds and things like that yeah and toys and games and yeah so i I definitely miss those two those two stores and glad to see that they're living lively in star court (laughs) and they had a sign in one of the windows i kind of paused i was like oh look it's it has a sign that said the hit song from the goonies now available and i thought that was kind of fun would that be good lovin from uh I think it was the Cindy. I think it was the picture of, uh, on the sign was Cindy Lauper. So I think it was that Goonies are good, good enough. Loving. Yeah, yeah, good, good enough. Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was called good loving because that's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> I think it's called like Goonies are like in quotes like Toys R Us. Goonies are good, good enough, enough. Something good like enough. that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're exactly I right. Think. But I would yeah. always say, I would always say good loving because that's what good I, loving. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yeah. yeah good it, loving. It, <laughs> there's so many songs that. I totally got the lyrics wrong growing up because I couldn't understand the the way the the artist was pronouncing <laughs> certain mm-hmm. words. Rock the cat box, like, that kind tiny, of thing. Tiny <laughs> Tiny Dancer, I always thought was Tony Danza. Look oh, yeah. closer, Tony Danza. 
<laughs> I mean, who wouldn't you want to hold you closer? But Tony yeah. Danza, he was the boss, <laughs> or was he? That's right. Who was the boss? I don't know. Question mark. Question mark in it. Yeah, I'm gonna look in and the see title. if that has the question mark. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look and see. Does it have a question mark? I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with yes. <laughs> I'm looking it up. We'll yeah. confirm. So as as Dustin and Robin are talking, Steve hangs back and lingers on a horse playing Daisy, which is the same song playing on the tape. That drop earlier, the redemption of Steve that you mentioned earlier, we get it Mm -hmm. right here. So here's what I thought was good from a writing standpoint. Yeah. He says, hey, I recognize this song. And she's like, that's weird that it would be in a Russian translation. Do you, I mean, maybe it's this thing is in, is in Russia. And he goes, look, Indiana Flyer, I doubt it. Now, you could make the argument that, yeah, this could have been shipped over there and it could have been. But I think the show is telling us, look, this is the clue. The clue is right. this is an American thing. And what happens is that callback, I didn't mention it earlier, but there's this great subtle moment when Hopper is going to the mayor's office, Mayor Klein's office, and there is this figure that oh, we don't yes. see his face walking by, coming from, looks like the mayor's office. Just as Hopper's kind of waiting. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yes. He's waiting to go in. Yeah, that's yeah. a good eye you have. That's kind of like a throwaway shot that like could just mm-hmm. fit any extra, but I think you're correct. I think that's someone of import that we're supposed well, to it's, be. Yeah. What we realize is that, at least what I picked up, was that in the next scene, we're back to that quartet playing, again, I don't know what that song is. I don't think it's a Russian. Maybe it's a Russian song. I don't know. <laughs> but Jim is drunk, munching on the breadsticks, frustrated, he tells Enzo. Yeah, yeah. He calls him Enzo. <laughs> his, he's like, that's his, not his my name. That's not my <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> that he's leaving now. And he takes the wine bottled. He's like, you can't take that, sir. And he's like, I can do anything I want. I'm the chief of police. <laughs> that's true. And so, so he leaves. And that's when we see that Russian body man who basically right. played Darth Vader without yeah, words. Yeah, choked out. Uh, yep. from, from episode one. So what we know is that the clues... This is my kind of theory or my yeah. sort of yeah, observation. Yeah. The message, the guy that was translating the message is in the U.S. I don't know that the lab is in the U.S. because the first episode sort of insinuates that we're in Russia. It's 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 snow and the Russian flag. So I think that's in Russia. Yeah. It looks like it's in Siberia I, or something. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that the, the Russian messenger, the guy translating, he's in the U.S. And then we have really kind of agents, secret agents, or guys that are basically on the inside and they're playing Americans and whatnot. Uh, mm. It makes me think, oh, maybe the string quartet is in on it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But but Steve's observation about Daisy and then we see the body man in that restaurant, it makes me think, okay, we got Russians not only in the US, but specifically in Hawkins. So maybe that messenger, maybe that lab or whatever it is, it's in Hawkins too. I don't know. So yeah, it's a great kind of Ooh, all That's right, a great really there. good. Yeah, you've you've picked you've put together a lot of pieces of the puzzle in only the first two episodes. I'm not saying I'm everything's 100 percent correct, but you're but you're definitely <laughs> you're learning how to watch this show. I think that's the key yeah. is that as you watch a certain show, you start to get, especially because it's written and directed by the same people, you start to understand what to look for, and that everything, as you said, every little detail has purpose and means something going forward so you're you're definitely yeah your observation skills are are working for you i'm nancy drewing it man that's what i'm doing you are and i can pour a mean cup of coffee if i need to so you know (laughs) suck it dude i got you when you're not having female problems 
Yeah, yeah. Female problems can tend to derail my Nancy Drews, but uh, <laughs> anyway. And again, first episode could have ended with the second to last scene. It would have been fine. Yes. This episode could have ended with the second to last scene, but we get a little payoff. We're back at the steelworks. Billy brings the girl from the pool, the other lifeguard. He lays her down kind of like a sacrifice. And I'm thinking, wow, this is Temple of Doom right here. Who's going to get their heart ripped out? Uh, she doesn't get her heart ripped out. Instead, she basically gets it worse. Um, that's when we see her wake up, freak out, and she sees the goo monster. This is the first time I think we see the new monster or what I think is the new monster of right. the current iteration of Stranger Things that is coming as a new form of something. And from what I can tell, she dies. And Billy just stands by and watches. Yeah, I mean, it's we're not given a lot more information just yet as to why he needs to bring the bodies to this monster but it's uh, clearly not a good thing for her <laughs> and no it kind of leads into the title that i mentioned earlier of the next episode which is the case of the missing lifeguard so this is a very <laughs> That's a little on the nose right there <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Unlike some of the other episode titles for this show or other shows that we've watched, which can be very cryptic and you don't really understand kind of where they're coming from. This is, I think, exactly what it promises, where there's a missing yeah. lifeguard and we're going to find out or hopefully find out where she went. See, I didn't pick up on that. I thought it was going to be an episode about the gang reuniting and playing D&D for, for Will's <laughs> enjoyment. I thought that was going to be it based off of that title. <laughs> <laughs> That's what or not Will at all. would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be like, you know, Dr. Strange, it'll be the case of the missing lifeguard. Or, or can we guys, can we all play D&D now? <laughs> question mark. Great title. Question yeah. mark. <laughs> Another question mark episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Uh, and which, the, yeah, I'll just say that this next episode, chapter three, will also be the first of the season directed by Sean Levy. So we'll be, we'll, we're back with our buddy. Not really. We don't know him. This, we can't even pronounce his last name. <laughs> Chianti? Is his name pronounced Chianti? I always forget. <laughs> Sean Levy, right? Sean Levy. That's his name. Sean Levy. Not Sean Levy. Well, thank you everyone for listening and tuning into this conversation. As always, I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here. 